The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 19, and our text verses once again are Acts 19, 1 through 6, and our subject is, Who is the Holy Spirit? And this is our seventh lesson on this topic, and I think, I know that this wasn't news to you, but the most important thing I think that we've talked about in the entire series thus far is that the Holy Spirit is God. He is deity. And so there can't be any arguments about how important that is. If he's God, then we know he must be important. And we do need to know what his work is and and how that he works in our lives as Christians. Now, we're looking at these verses in Acts 19, 1 through 6. And as I've stated to you before, these verses are really just a jumping off point. Uh, This is just to get us into the subject. And this is uh, the Apostle Paul speaking to some believers that were in Ephesus. And they'd not been taught about the Holy Spirit and the work that the Holy Spirit came to do. And so Paul asked these disciples, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they replied to him, Well, we didn't even know that there was a Holy Ghost. Well, since they're saved, I do believe that these were saved people, they would have received the Holy Spirit because all believers receive him in their heart when they're, when they're born again. But the problem with these believers was that their knowledge of the Christian faith was defective. They had received the baptism of John, but they did not yet know that Christ had come. They didn't know that he died. They didn't know that the Holy Spirit had come. Now, I think when the Apostle Paul is talking to them about the the work of the Holy Spirit or who the Holy Spirit is, he's particularly talking about spiritual gifts, and we're going to get into that in just a moment. But basically, these are people that were ignorant of his work. And so what Paul had to do is take these believers aside and instruct them further on uh, in the gospel. Now, they understood, they did believe, but they didn't have complete knowledge. And so he took them aside to teach them about the Holy Spirit and that's for the purpose so they might learn how the Holy Spirit works in a Christian. They might be able to utilize the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Now I think an interesting point about this is that these believers were in the same position as those in the Old Testament that were saved before Christ came. I mean, they did have faith in the living God. They did have faith in the Messiah who had come. But they just had not heard yet that he did come. I think that's the situation that we have here. So they do want to know more about him. They need to know more about him so they can access that power that's available to them in their lives. Now, you, you could have the Holy Spirit in your life, and if you are ignorant like these folks are, you just don't know how to, to live in the Spirit, how to live out uh, the Spirit and have him working in you and guiding you in the ways that, that he can do. So it's best that we take time, we set this aside, and we just look at the scriptures and see how the Holy Spirit does work. Now this evening, rather than go back through the entire outline, I'm I'm just going to break in where we left off last time. And if you've missed 
all of this study or any part of this study, the outline might look a little bit strange to you because we're starting with the letter D on the outline, which is a part of the third major point that the Holy Spirit is God's agent. And we talked about that he's God's agent in creation. He's the agent in the ministry of Christ. He's the agent in the ministry of the canon. And he is the agent in the ministry of a Christian. And as the agent in the ministry of a Christian, we're looking at the ways that the Holy Spirit works in us, enabling us to serve God. And under that subtopic, we talked about uh, regeneration and sanctification and glorification and communication. And I just happened to think of something when I said communication. Uh, We're talking about prayer there. And I forgot to tell you that the ladies are having a meeting on Tuesday night. The ladies... uh, uh, Bible study, and uh, I've just reviewed a book that they're going to start, I think, in a week or so on prayer, uh, being a woman of prayer, and I think that's really a good thing. But communication, we talked about that last week, and that's talking about prayer. So we've come a long way in these lessons, and this evening we're going to continue with another way that the Holy Spirit does his work. And this one thing that we're going to talk about tonight, that's going to take all of our time. So our outline begins with D5. He's the agent of the ministry of the Christian, and our Our word tonight is demonstration. And I've used this word demonstration because the Holy Spirit will give evidence of his work in a believer. If you're born again, your faith will produce positive activities for Christ. Now, there are a number of verses that we could go to to use as a reference point to teach this. But one that I think you're very familiar with is in the book of James. And James deals with the evidences of justifying faith. Now, there are many people that suppose that James and Paul were uh, differing on the doctrine of justification, that they had opposing ideas, but they don't have opposing ideas. Paul, when he speaks of justification, talks about it from the standpoint of the means by which we're justified, whereas James, when he's discussing justification in his letter, he's talking about the evidence that our justification has actually happened. Now, breaking into the middle of James' thought, James writes in chapter 2, Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Now, James is telling us there that that a believer will demonstrate his faith by his works. Now, the Apostle John speaks on this subject, and he hones in on on one particular area that's very pointed, and it's a particular evidence of our salvation. In 1 John, he says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. So this is one of the things that the Holy Spirit does. He causes a Christian to love other people and causes him to love God. That work is part of the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I mentioned a moment ago about the uh, Victoria and, and her need for someone to care about her and show some love to her, some compassion towards her. That's what Christians naturally do. They see somebody that has a problem, brother and sister in the body, someone who needs something, and Christian people are those that have compassion for them, and they reach out to try to help that person. Now, John says that 
this love that the Holy Spirit instills in us will be made evident. Now he goes on in verse number 20 and he says, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Now we can tie those verses into the previous points that we've made in weeks past as we talked about our justification and our sanctification that if love is not apparent in a Christian's life then he's not truly justified and he's not truly sanctified and if he's neither of those then he can't really be a Christian and if he's not a Christian he doesn't have the Holy Spirit in him. So... To put it to you in another way, when the Holy Spirit comes into a person, he leaves tracks in your life. You see, whenever the Holy Spirit is present, he leaves the mark. He can't pass through your life without disturbing the landscape. So he can't be a part of you without leaving his footprints behind. Now, you understand what I'm saying? You will see the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And if that is not there then you really do need to check up on your salvation. Now, this is the part that maybe doesn't fit so much folks that are in here tonight. But as a pastor, I worry about some of our church members. I worry about this because I wonder why there is rebellion against what is taught in the pulpit. And I'm not talking about certain deep doctrinal matters like that. I'm talking about why is there sometimes almost a mean-spirited rebellion against the moral and the ethical code of our Christianity? I don't understand why we have trouble with church members and holiness in their lives. Well, I look at the, those kinds of attitudes and I wonder, where, where is the Holy Spirit in them? Have you really learned? Have you really heard that there is a Holy Spirit? Are you waiting for the preacher to tell you every move that you need to make and so I need to follow your people around and hit them upside with a rule book and say, this is what you need to do. This is what you're supposed to do. Don't Christians have enough sense to do what's right? See, I think that's part of what the Holy Spirit does in your life. What do you think the Holy Spirit's work is if it's not that? So are you ignoring the Holy Spirit? Or are you like the disciples? Could you be like disciples in Acts 19? You're wandering around in stupor like, duh, I haven't even heard there was a Holy Spirit. Now, folks need to take notes on things like this, I think, because I don't climb on these issues too much. But if you want to know how a pastor spends a lot of his time, you've just found out. There are agonizing times in a pastor's life because much of the time, the doctrines that we preach from the pulpit do not produce a change in the people. And you say, well, what's the cause of that? Is that the pastor's fault because the doctrines from the pulpit make no change in anyone? Well, let's take just a moment here to examine the apostles' method as they taught the Word of God. So we look at the way that the Apostle Paul wrote his letters to the churches. Uh, He delivers some very strong doctrine that's intended to make a study and to think about what he's said, to get down to the bottom of what it means... And then he points out that doctrine, then he moves on from the doctrine to the practical implications of the doctrine. And he shows people that the doctrine that you've learned should make a change in you. Now in Romans, we have two great verses that open up the 12th chapter. And those come after Paul has just delivered some of the most comprehensive theological arguments on the Christian faith that you can find in Scripture. And he comes to chapter 12 and he just blasts out of that theological cocoon with Romans 12 verses 1 and 2, 
where he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And he just as well have, could, have, could have said, what did you learn in those previous 11 chapters about doctrine? What did that do to you? What did the Holy Spirit work in you? Where's the demonstration of the Holy Spirit in your life that you can apply this doctrine? And so he says, here's what should happen as a result of the doctrine that I've taught you. You should present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now that means that you're not to be hanging out there on the edge trying to hold on to the world with one hand and on to God with the other. But rather, you're at the center of God's will, because that's where the Holy Spirit puts you. He teaches you that. He instructs you that this is where you're supposed to be. That's Paul's method. What about Peter? Well, he used the same method. First, he presents strong doctrine, then he follows that up with practical implications. One of the uh, scriptures that comes to my mind is in Second Peter chapter 3. And there Peter has been talking about these, the theological significance that, of the false teachers and the fact that the Lord is coming back. And he talks about the destruction of the world. And he says in Second Peter 3, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, here's here's the practical implications of the doctrine, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation? That means the manner of your life and godliness looking for and hasting unto the coming day of God. The Apostle John used the same method. I'd like you to turn to 1 John chapter 2. And I want you to see here what John says about the Holy Spirit being our teacher that brings the change in our lives. So if you look at 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse number 26, John says, These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and you need not that any man teach you. Now the anointing that he's speaking of there is not a bottle of oil that somebody pours on you. He's speaking there about the Holy Spirit himself. And John says that there are some things that you don't need men to teach you. And you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Now there's sort of the answer to the question I gave, asked a minute ago, do you need the pastor to follow you around? Do you need the pastor to say, do this and don't do that? Do you need me to be your nanny? Are you saved? Do you have the Holy Spirit? If you do then this is what should happen. Verse 28, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Now, I hope you understand where I'm going with all this. You understand what I'm saying here. I hope you get it, because it might be a while before you hear it again. So how many would walk away from what I've just said and wonder, well, what should I do now? Well, we have 
the answers have been given in Scripture. Live in the Holy Spirit. Let Him lead you, guide you, and you have the Word of God that tells you what to do. The doctrine should make a change in you. If it doesn't, then you haven't got it yet. Well, that's just a small glimpse of the work of the Holy Spirit in a Christian's life as he demonstrates his presence through a changed lifestyle. But that's not even really the point that I wanted to get to tonight. The thing that I really want to talk to you about is the special gifting of the Holy Spirit. He demonstrates his presence by giving the Christian spiritual gifts. So let's talk about that. We'll spend the rest of our time talking about spiritual gifts. And it's necessary for us to talk about this because this is another area of the Spirit's work that is subject to a lot of misinformation. Wayne Grudem, in his systematic theology, said that in years gone by, systematic theologies did not even contain a chapter on spiritual gifts. Now, I wish that Grudem had better understanding of the gifts than he does because he's not a cessationist. But he does point out that since the the rise of Pentecostalism and the charismatic movement in the 20th century, that there has been a good deal of emphasis that's been placed upon spiritual gifts. Now, I intend to do a message later on about uh, the charismatic gifts and uh, all about those things. And so I'm not going to spend time on that tonight. That's going to come later. So let's just start here in this section by giving a definition of what does the Bible mean when it talks about spiritual gifts. Well, a spiritual gift is any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit to use, uh, that's used in the service of the church. Any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in the service of the church. Spiritual gifts are God-given abilities. And so that means they're not self-generated and they're used especially in the service of the church. Now, I don't necessarily mean a church service like we're having right now, although that is included. But the gift is used in the ministry of the church and it's used to edify the, the body of Christ. Now, we also need to understand that that spiritual gifts are not the same as natural talents. We have people in the church that are talented in certain ways. We have talented singers, the ladies that play the musicians, uh, play the instruments, rather. They are very talented. When I hear the youth choir sing, I'm just amazed at the way the ladies have cultivated those natural talents that these children have, and they've harnessed those voices to make those kids sing like little songbirds. You know, I remember how it used to be when we would have kids sing in the church, that nobody spent very much time with them, and, and so they would sing, and you might as well throw the tune and the music scale out the window because they weren't going to use them. But it's different now. And, and those talents, the natural talents that those kids have are being developed. They sing on tune. They, they're able to hit those falsetto notes and just get up there. And that's just the development of the natural talent. That's not what we're talking about when we speak of a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is not something that you're born with, not something that you get from your parents. So you have people that are talented in certain things, and we say that they do have natural gifts, but those aren't spiritual gifts. A natural gift can be used in any setting. You could use it in a secular setting. You could use it in the church as well, as we have many people do. But a spiritual gift is different from that. A spiritual gift is something that's given by God and is used particularly in the service and the ministry of Christ in the church. And as I said, it edifies the body of Christ. Now, if you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 4... 
we can see some of the spiritual gifts that God gives and we see their purpose. Paul writes in the 11th verse of Ephesians chapter 4, he says that he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's one of the places that we have spiritual gifts mentioned in the New Testament, but these are not all of the spiritual gifts that there are. Paul says that some, uh, that God has given some apostles. Now, we don't have apostles anymore, at least not apostles in the same sense as the original apostles. He speaks of a gift of prophecy here, but we no longer have the gift of prophecy any longer. Prophecy is the direct revelation from God that comes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And since we have the completed canon of Scripture, there is no need for any further revelation. So there is no gift of prophecy. But these others, evangelists, pastors, teachers, these are people that are specially gifted by God for those types of service. Now we take the pastor, for example. A pastor is not born with the gift of pastoring. If, if, if you were, you would say, why me, God? Why me? But a pastor, he, he's not born that way. Now, he might be a born administrator. He might be a born leader of men. But that doesn't qualify him to be a pastor. God has to call a pastor. He must call, and then the church must also cooperate, uh, corroborate that calling. I think that preaching in general is a calling from God. When I was in Kentucky before Thanksgiving, I uh, was preaching there. And after I'd finished preaching, there was a man that came up to me. And uh, he wasn't someone that had been a member of the church when I was there, so I didn't know him. But he came up to talk to me after the service, and he said, "Uh, I would really like to preach. But he said, the pastor told me I wasn't called to preach. Well, I knew what he was talking about. um, Because there are some people, when you hear them preach, you can say to them, trust me, you're not called to preach. Uh, Charles Spurgeon dealt with that. He had, he had a, a preacher's school, and he had many uh, men who were aspiring to preach, and he would just tell them, don't, don't, no, 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 no. Go, go do something else. Try something else. You're not called to preach. Well, you see, the man recognizes the calling, but the church also recognizes that calling as well. I think that God, the God uh, tells the people of the church that. So we don't have a complete list here of these spiritual gifts. There are gifts like ministering, and uh, especially in things like exhortation. There's a ministry of, of giving, a ministry of hospitality. There's ministry of mercy. Uh, God can put it into a person's heart to know how to particularly deal with bad situations and handle them with grace and compassion. And there's a really interesting one. Uh, that we have in Scripture. If, if you'll turn uh, a few pages over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, in this chapter, Paul is speaking about marriage, and he talks about being single, and Paul was not a married man. He talked about, in this chapter, the husband and wife, and he was discussing how a, a husband and wife are not to withhold their bodies from one another, and that's as far as I'll go with that. But he also said something interesting in verse number 7. He said, For I would that all men were even as I myself. But every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. I say, therefore, to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. 
Now that's interesting because Paul called the ability of a man or a woman to remain unmarried, to be single, he said that is a gift from God. Now not everybody has that gift. And thank the Lord not everybody has the gift because if they did, it wouldn't be long before there are no Christians. Now, back in the uh, 18th and uh, 17th and 18th, uh, 18th and 19th centuries, rather, there was a group called the Shakers, and the Shakers did not believe in marriage. And so their houses, they had two doors to enter into. The men would go in one door, the women in another. In their church, they had two places to enter. The women go in one door, the men in the other. They didn't sit together in the church. Their interaction was very limited. And guess what? There are no more shakers today because they didn't believe in getting married. So Paul was an unmarried man, but he called that a special gift from God. And what he meant was that God had enabled him to live that way without sinning under the natural impulses that that you have in dealing with the opposite sex. Now, there are several passages in the New Testament where you find out about these spiritual gifts. We have read Ephesians chapter 4. We'll read in just a moment from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 also has a section on this. So we're, we're just going to look here at some important points about these spiritual gifts. So spiritual gifts are, first of all, distributed by the will of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another divers kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh at one and the self same Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he he will. Then verse 18 says, and now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body as it hath pleased him. Now you see as Paul goes through that list of gifts that he gives there in those verses, that he says each time, this is by the Spirit. It's by the Spirit. It's by the Spirit. And then he says, God hath set the members in the body as it hath pleased him. So do you know what the Holy Spirit does not do? He doesn't let you choose your gift. And one of the reasons that he doesn't is because of conflict. Now, I was talking about the church in Kentucky, and every time that I go back there to preach, I'm a little bit nervous because that's a church that's filled with pastors. Now, they don't have as many there as they, uh, as they did before. Now they don't. But at one time, they had six or seven, maybe even more, former pastors of churches that were members of that church. And so I would go back to preach, and I was nervous when I was preaching. I'm standing in front of these, most of them retired pastors, been pastors for a long, long, long time, and I felt like I was being graded every time that I preached a message. But they were gracious to me, and I'm thankful for that. But having those six or seven men in the church, they were former pastors. They weren't the pastor. There was only one pastor that church. God gifted that one man to pastor that particular church. So we have a church here, and there are not ten of you that are called to be the pastor of this church. And the reason that we don't have that, because if we did, we would have nothing but chaos. We can't have ten leaders in the church, not in this position. You can only have one person for that. Now, some of you may think that you know more than me, 
And you may know more than me. But one thing that you don't know is you don't know more than me about pastoring this church. And that's because God didn't call you and God didn't gift you to do that. See, the Holy Spirit chooses the gift for you because he knows what the church needs most. And he knows when the church needs that. And he knows how he can use you to be most beneficial to the rest of the body. So nobody should look at the spiritual gift that another person has and be envious of that. Don't covet their gift. God's given you your gift. And you think about how blessed you are that God has chosen you for that particular gift. Now let me say this also. I'm not a fan of spiritual gift tests. Now there are some churches that give you a form to fill out and they help you to determine your spiritual gift. So it's like getting a standardized test. I mean, they give you the forms, you blank it all out, you fill it all out, they put it in the computer and outspit your spiritual gift. I don't think that God works that way. If he did, then he would have given us a book of forms. We would have 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, Revelation, then comes forms. And there's a little perforated section there that you tear it out, you fill this out and hand it in, and everybody tells you what your gift is. God doesn't need to work like that. You don't have to take a test to find out a spiritual gift. The Holy Spirit can make your gift known to you. And you may not recognize it on day one when you're converted. It takes time to develop these things. They're discovered over time. They're cultivated over time. And they become useful over time. So what do you do in the meantime? Well, you have to be busy. You have to be active. You just can't sit down and say, Lord, I'm waiting for you to put your spiritual gift on me. No, what you do is you get busy in the ministry doing what you can, helping anywhere that you can. And as you work in the church and God gives you or you work in these different tasks, your gift starts to rise to the top. Now, let me give an example of that. In Acts chapter 6, we have the selection of the first deacons in the church. You know how those deacons were chosen? Well, there were seven men that showed up one day in the apostles' office, and they said, we think that we ought to be deacons. You know that's not how it happened. The apostles told the people, find seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, and we'll appoint them over this business of the ministry. Now, you see, those seven men must have already been active. They must have already been showing Christian graces. They must have been demonstrating good stewardship. They must have been responsible people. They showed how they could be responsible. They were likable men. And so the people helped them to identify that gift. And so they chose them. And so now the gift that they have is apparent to them. Here's what God wants me to do in the church. Now next, spiritual gifts are distributed to all believers. Now, that's important to recognize because I've already made the point that every Christian will have a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's presence in his life. And I think that's more than just being a good church member. It's more than just showing up at the church services. It's more than just being a nice guy. I mean, these are particular things that God is going to give you. And you'll get a gift. You may get more than one gift, but you're not going to get all of the gifts. God didn't give anybody all of the gifts. And you know why he didn't? Because if he did, we'd have that problem of conflict again. And we would only need one member of the church. We just need you. Because you get all the spiritual gifts. 
Now, I'm glad that God didn't give me all of the spiritual gifts. I'm glad that he's gifted other people to do things that I'm not good at. And the reason I'm happy for that is because if he gave me all the gifts, I'd be busier than a one-armed paper hanger. I mean, that, that, would, that would not be a good thing to have all the spiritual gifts. So he distributes them, as Paul says, throughout the body as the body has needs. So if you're a Christian and you come and you just hang out at the church, you're neglecting your gift. God has given you something. God's brought you here into this church to do something here for some purpose. So what you need to do is get busy, and sooner or later, that gift that God has given for you to do will become apparent. Now, thirdly, spiritual gifts are distributed when needed. Now, we read Ephesians 4 just a moment ago, and I said, well, there are no apostles today. There are no prophets today. We don't need those. God shut those off. The gifts of, of uh, the miracle gifts of healing, speaking in tongues and all of that, those things are gone. We don't need those today. God used them in the time and place where they were needed. Now, there are churches then that may not have a need for a particular gift to be used. And the Holy Spirit knows when a gift is needed. And since he's the one that distributes the gift and empowers for the gift, he raises up a person at the right time when that gift is needed. You know, I, I through uh, 10 years of ministry in this church, I've seen times when we got down to, I just wonder who's going to do this next job. I wonder who's going to take this over. We, we had a time when we ha- were having trouble getting enough uh, people to play the, the instruments. And I said, what are we going to do? We actually experimented for a while with a system where, where we were just going to uh, play something over the, play tunes over the uh, over the uh, intercom or the speakers here and then we try to sing by that now I know that would have been a disaster but what are you going to do if you don't have anybody to take over that position but then the Lord blessed us we got we got of course Melissa's playing we've got Lucy that came and Catherine can play and when Diane is here she can play well and and there are and I'm glad I think we have a few kids that may be learning to play too that's a wonderful thing God, God's going to raise up some people to take over these things. Now, those things, as I said a moment ago, those aren't nat- nat- uh, necessarily spiritual gifts. But that's the way that God works with spiritual gifts. He'll bring us the person when the time is needed. He'll raise up somebody and give them the gift that we need. So we could spend a lot of time in this area of spiritual gifts and we're going to come back to the miracle gifts and we're going to dedicate an entire sermon to that uh, actually more than one sermon to that because when you talk about spiritual gifts those are the ones that pop into people's minds i mean that's the thing that people think most often about you talk about a spiritual gift all oh, they say well, we can heal spiritual gift, oh yeah i can speak in tongues spiritual gift oh i have the gift of knowledge and all these different kinds of things so there are all kinds of wild aberrant doctrines that grow out of that and rather than the holy spirit being glorified through those things the holy spirit ends up being blasphemed so what's the chief point that we learn in tonight's message i think it's this that if you are a saved person, you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will make your profession known to you. You'll know that you're a child of God because the Holy Spirit lives in you and he makes that profession known to other people. There will be a demonstration of it. Now, there are some members of the church that have 
really difficulty proving that they are Christians. And that's because they don't show very much evidence. They haven't yielded all areas of their life to the Spirit's control. And so by their bad habits, they keep tearing down their testimony, tearing it to shreds. And there is no proof that they really do belong to God and therefore have the Holy Spirit. And there may be some of you, I don't know, maybe some of you that you're sitting on your gift... I don't really have doubts that you're saved, uh, that you're Christians, you're pleasant, you're cooperative, you show interest in what we're doing. But I can tell you that you'd be a whole lot happier in your spiritual life if you would get busy, make a positive contribution to the ministry, and all of us will be blessed by that. Some point, God is going to cause your spiritual gift to come out how you can best be used in the Lord's church. So what you don't want to do, you don't want to say by either your bad activity or your lack of activity that I didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. You don't want to be an Acts 19 disciple. What you want is for Jesus and Peter and Paul and John and James to teach you a few things. Teach you how to show your faith, a demonstration that the Holy Spirit really is at work in you. That's part of what the Holy Spirit does. That's another way that we need to learn more about him, to understand he is going to use us in his service, and we need to be prepared to be used. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you tonight for your people that are here to hear the message from your word. Uh, Lord, we're just uh, so thankful for members of Brian Baptist Church that show an interest in learning what your word has to say. And here in this particular area that's so important to us that we understand what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. And Lord, that we would recognize the Holy Spirit's work. And when he's speaking to us, when he's directing us, and that we would be willing to surrender ourselves completely in every way that you want us to, to the Holy Spirit's power and control. So Lord, bless us. Again, we thank you for this time we spent together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.